0: Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me as always, the lovely Nicole Davis. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm good. (laughs) I've had some wine. I've had a long week at work, but I got a piece of very good news today, which I can't share at the moment. No, I'm not pregnant, Um, (laughs) but so I'm in a good mood and I'm celebratory and I'm going to try to keep it together so that I can podcast properly about this movie, which spoilers, I really like. So.
0: Good. Uh, and joining us as well, David Luzader. How are you?
2: Uh, I'm good, bro. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am good, pregnant, fam. So I, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yay! But yeah, I am. I am super pregnant. So that's my good news for right. the for the moment.
0: Right. And also, is it this a male or a has... female? Are there large hairy
1: aliens <laughs> chasing you, or are they like the the ones without the fur? Uh,
2: a gentleman never asks, and a lady never tells. <laughs>
0: you know i i think watching this movie from 2011 really let me be more hip to the kids here in 2018 and i say that as someone who was like the age of these kids in this movie at the time it came out uh it's very interesting dialogue wise but this week is future classics that means one of the three of us has the opportunity to bring a film to the table present it as something that will be viewed years down the road as a classic in film uh it was my pick this time But before I explain my pick and say what it was, I do want to hand off to David because next week is Around the World. That means it's now David's opportunity to pick a movie that is international, not made in the U.S. David, what are we watching?
2: Yeah, I had a tough time with this one because, you know, I was using my Around the World for a while to introduce Brett to some martial arts films, uh... Now that we've done the raid, you know, kind of taking a break from that. So I was asking myself, what do I want to, like, where do exactly do I want to go? So I had a few options that I, I'm going to still save for future episodes, but I realized next week we'll be joined by my Brookbot Mountain co-host, Phil Rude. Uh, and he and I, at the time of recording... Uh, next week, we will be doing the ep- an episode about the shape of water. So I figured, why don't we stay in the Guillermo del Toro uh, house, and we will be doing 2006's Pan's Labyrinth. What?
0: Ooh, man, you took you took one of the few things I had in my future around the world <laughs> like, bag I could pull from, which is albeit limited compared to you two, but I'm very happy nonetheless. I, oh, it's going to be great. Okay. Uh, I very will not apologize for my pick, so... Uh, it's okay. I am I love it. I'm very excited. So next, next week, Pan's Labyrinth. Be sure to watch it. But yes. this week, we are watching Attack the Block, a 2011 film. Six residents of a South London apartment tower, five teenage boys, and the woman they robbed earlier in the evening band together to survive and try to defeat an alien invasion. Uh, a bit of recap on this. We always explain why we pick something in the week that we picked it. Uh, For me, this is a future classic with a big caveat, a big qualifier, which is that this is not Casablanca. Uh, This is, this is the room, but good. This is (laughs) a really good Simon Pegg movie, a really good Edward Wright, Edward Edgar Wright movie, um, Edward Wright, Edgar Wright. And I think that in the same echelon of those guys, this is going to be a classic of your local independent cinema that plays movies every Friday night at midnight, and they roll between Rocky Horror and The Room and this, and amongst other films that are like this, Evil Dead, stuff like that. Uh, this will be in that circuit because it is infectiously fun. It is ridiculous. It is incredibly creative, where it could be very potentially stereotypical and And derivative, it is inventive in many ways, and then it it falls into some tropes. But uh, it's an incredibly creative endeavor, and also, perhaps most importantly, I think it gives us a very early insight into people that are going to become mainstays of our culture. Uh, John Boyega, his first movie, nineteen years old, uh, goes on a couple years later to be Finn in Star Wars, and I'm sure he'll have a very successful career here on there after. I don't know, Mark Hamilton. I digress. I think he will. He's very talented. And also, of course, uh, Jodie Whittaker, very young, and she is now our doctor. So I think this is a really interesting movie. And I think it's also very hard to understand uh, those really thick, you know, southern Britain, like just heavy accents. This might yeah, be the, a first, movie.
2: the first 10 to 15 minutes of this movie. Turn on uh, subtitles. Yeah, this might be a movie where if you've never seen
0: it before or you just struggle with those kind of accents, you might need a little assistance. But once you start like codding to the way they talk and the kind of slang they use, you'll very quickly discover that the slang is just repeated over and over. So it's kind of easy to figure out what they're saying at a certain point. But that's my rundown. That's why I picked uh, Attack the Block. Now, Nicole, you had seen Attack the Block before, so I'm going to go to you in a moment, yeah. but I do want to turn over to David briefly as someone who had never seen this movie. Um, had you even heard of it before? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd heard of this movie,
2: um, especially, you know, when Star Wars was was coming back after its long hibernation and people were talking about the newcomers, and you know John Boyega, and people kept referencing Attack of the Block. Uh, there's also a show that I I like on the CW. It's a superhero show, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. And for a few seasons, they had uh, I, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation of his name Franz Drama, uh, who in this movie plays Dennis. So I coming at it from a couple of different points. I, I and of course Jodie Whittaker um very very aware of this movie but had not gotten around to seeing it uh it's a movie that you know i think it would have been uh really fun if my first exposure had been in a theater kind of with people in a way of rocky horror in the room getting really into it um we'll talk more about that towards the end but i do agree that there is something to that of like this movie is a lot of fun when you get really into it and are okay with a little bit of yelling at the screen Uh, because I think that, you know, maybe it, 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 it touches on some depth, but kind of lacks it in a way that makes it very, very enjoyable. And, uh, it was, it was a fun movie. I can't, you know, anything else I can say about it. I can't say I didn't have a good time watching it.
0: Yeah. I think that ties into my big qualifier for this being a quote unquote classic, which is like, because this is a midnight movie, because this is a have fun with friends and yell at the screen and make it an event. Um, I do think this is totally 100% best enjoyed with friends. Uh, The first time I saw this was when I was in high school with a ton of friends, ton of buddies that all, you know, just loved this movie and introduced me to it. And it was a really rousing time. And this time around I watched it with my girlfriend and even like, obviously not a big group of, you know, crazy high school guys, but even her and I just had so much fun watching it together I really do feel like there is a, a huge element of that to this, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that more. Nicole Davis, uh,
2: Nicole, had- Nicole, I just want us to acknowledge that Brett just said he was in high school in
0: 2011. <laughs> <Let's> just <laughs> you and that, yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, that's true. Act I was creeping up on
1: 40 in 2011. Just saying. <laughs>
0: Like a Sophomore <laughs> in high school, sophomore or something, junior or somewhere around there.
1: Oh God! Shut yeah. up! Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
0: Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a but yeah, this is a special movie for me growing up, and me kind of being the age that these kids were in this movie in some ways. Uh, yeah, they were
1: 16 the- and 17 when they made this.
0: Yeah, so they were just a tiny bit older than me. Uh, Nicole, you had seen this before. This I this has Edgar Wright in spirit and kind of in person in it, I suppose. So I feel like this is just naturally in your wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan from Spaced to Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and The World's End, which is actually my favorite, even though it's nobody's favorite um and baby driver versus the world baby driver Driver. yeah so i'm a i'm a big fan he was an executive producer on this uh he and joe cornish are pals and
0: joe um, cornish is the director of this film
1: yes joe cornish is the writer and director of this Mm -hmm. movie um so and you can definitely see edgar's influence a little bit here i think um Although it's not as as tightly edited as Edgar likes to do, he likes to get a lot of comedic uh, mm-hmm. comedic points out of the editing alone, not just the particular shots he chooses. But um, Joe Cornish gives it a little bit more of a narrative flair. I like this because it's it is it's definitely an excellent midnight movie, but I also think it's an excellent science fiction film on its own. It's not really a, it's not a horror movie, I don't think. It's more science fiction with the occasional horrific elements. But if anything, it's mostly a, a science fiction comedy. Um, you know, the way the kids relate to each other. Apparently, they went through a rehearsal period where they got to know each other and bond. So they'd seem more like kids who grew up in the same apartment block together. Um,
0: I, and it's yeah. just
1: really well paced um you know really gives you a feeling of these people do live here do all know each other well and just think they know everything about each other even if they don't
2: i gotta say kind of what as you're saying there it this kind of reminds me of a slasher flick from like the 70s or 80s like when the When the killers aren't on screen know people are kind of like having a good time, you know, with less like of a creeper element. Uh, (laughs) But then like once the aliens are on screen and killing people, it's like, oh, there is. Oh, there's blood everywhere. Oh, oh, right. That (laughs) That guy's nose is gone.
1: Yeah, I was not anticipating teenagers being killed by this alien and not all of them make it.
0: Yeah, so. No. And, so I'm glad you bring that up Nicole but well for two things I want to say in response to you first is like this is the Goonies if it was British and they drop the F-bomb um, and like in terms of like the childhood adoles- adolescence of them you know Bonding through mischief, I suppose. The, go- the Goonies never robbed anybody at gun at knife point. May- this is going away from me. Um, <laughs> I'm losing this as I go deeper into the hole. So this My movie's point like the though, Goonies. Well, it's not like The Goonies. But, it's like uh, coming right. of age, kind of, maybe, a little bit. Um, but what I do kind of love about this movie, and I even put this in our show doc, is like, they kill the kids. And I, that sounds messed up to be the thing I like about it, but this movie... There are some tropes in this movie, particularly the, the moral lessons it tries to display at times maybe come off a little tropey, but the fact that they are willing to just take out characters uh, in such vicious ways, but also make it be so nineteen seventy slashery, I think that's a really good analog, David, uh, makes it just great because I've never seen a movie like this where they're willing to just kill the kid that accidentally had a water pistol or a fake gun. Like it's, it's very yeah. interesting to me.
2: Yeah. Now, there now, there are characters that die in this movie that I did not see their deaths coming. Um, and they kind of, uh, one thing that if you follow me online or, you know, you talk to me, like one thing I'll complain about is I hate when movies are like, instead of a sequel, we're going to do a prequel and we're going to like, I hate, cause I think, I feel like prequels and jumping back takes the teeth out of something. Cause especially the, some movies i'm like if i know everyone's gonna live or like a character's not important like that just kind of takes out the drama for me in this movie when characters started dying i was like oh this movie has teeth and suddenly the stakes feel way bigger it's like i don't i don't know which of these kids make i don't even know if john boyega lives to the end of this movie like you know i, I don't know this movie that well like anybody could be on the chopping block next
0: yeah, and, and what's really also cool about it to me is that, you know, there, there's points in this movie where, you know, John Boyega comes to the conclusion that the aliens were dropped there by the government because it's just, you know, one step in eradicating, you know, black Brits from this area. You know, first step is the drug, second step is the guns, and same same sort of, you know, racial uh, struggles that South Side of Chicago has. Um, but it, at the end of the movie... It's not really that feel good about any of that. There's never really a resolution. Like, you don't know what's going to happen to some of these kids at the end of the movie. And I think that's an interesting and bold move in the writing because it's so easy to get these kids out of it at the end. And they don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trope would have been like, no, they saved the day. And everyone's like, you're the hero. We're going to celebrate you. And it's like, everybody's chanting Moses and Jodie Whittaker is like, no, he saved me. But he's, you know, John Boyega still gets arrested in the end.
1: He's still
0: dead cops and and stolen cars. And and hopefully they're going to go up in that block and they're going to find the bodies of weird, you know, demon aliens. But uh you don't know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I, I kind of like that about the ending.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this this I think leads into something that I put in the show docket, which is I asked if could this movie be made in America, and honestly, the way race relations and the particularly between the police and African-Americans on the whole, I really don't think you could I think because you I think if you, if you did it here, I'd be spending the whole time waiting for the police to shoot somebody um, or haul off all the African-American kids and leave only the, like the, the one white kid and the two mixed race kids to fend off the alien invasion with the white lady. I mean, it's, you know it it's i feel like it's more and i maybe i'm i'm possibly quite possibly wrong um but i think in england while there is definitely a racial component to it a lot of it is about class when it comes to the residents of tower blocks um and poverty, a lot more. I'm not disc. I'm not saying there is no racial component, but I think that it's counts for more in Britain, class versus color. At least that's the impression that I get from all the media and the news stories that I read, and the movies that I watch, and the television shows that I watch. That's the impression that I get. So I just I. Don't think it's a close enough analog for the story as written to work in an American context.
0: What do you
2: think, David? I'm going to have to disagree because I think it could, because the cops aren't a major presence in this movie. Uh, You have the cops in the beginning who get killed by, you know, who are arresting uh, this black youth who then get killed by the aliens. And then you don't see cops again until the end where they are arresting everybody. Uh I think if the, if the cops were a bigger part of this film sure but because they really only are kind of a presence on the edge of the story and only in a couple of scenes really actually being there I think that it it could have you know with maybe a couple minor tweaks but I don't know for for me this is a movie that I think cuz you you still have that sense of neighborhood pride like you know the the block thing, might be inherently British, but neighborhood pride, building pride, like that's something you can still translate over to, as Brett said, something like Chicago or New York or something like that.
0: I'll be very curious to see what happens with Chance the Rapper's pizza delivery horror movie. (laughs) It has been several years in the making. Um, It is chance, the rapper delivering pizza in Chicago South side. And there is like an alien or a horror element. It actually looks like it might be within a ballpark of what this could kind of be like. Um, I see where you're both coming from because I feel like in in an American movie and, and, and obviously we're, we're colored by the current political social climate at the end of the American movie, does John Boyega, you know, leave the elevator covered in blood, holding a sword and not get shot? And I, I just don't know. I just And maybe that's because I live in Chicago and we just had the most high profile uh, Laquan McDonald case coming out of court here in, in the history of the city. But um, I feel like the tensions there and almost the. The disbelief amongst audiences who experience that kind of life, if he doesn't run into issues, could be problematic for the movie in America. It's a very interesting thing, though, because, David, you're completely right. They are in the outs. The cops, anyway, are on the outside of the movie, or the feds, are, anyway, as they call them in, in Britain, yeah, the apparently. Yeah, it's a fascinating discussion topic, and people who know this movie, please email us in around at This is something in particular I urge you to please email us about because, like, we we don't have the answers to this. Right? And yeah. This is curious. this is a
2: this is a subject that it's like we could go down rabbit holes, and you know, three uh, how how qualified are three white people? right we talk about this. Uh it kind of reminds me a little bit of the the ending of Get Out. Um
1: yeah. spoiler
2: alert for Get Out, uh the movie's, you know, like a couple years old at this point, so I don't feel too bad about this. Um the the I can't I don't remember the character's name, uh, but the main character of Get Out, though, the black guy from Get Out, like gets Chris. Chris. Yeah, he he gets away at the end. And the original ending was that uh Cops show up and just look at the situation, which is there is a dead white girl and a black guy with a gun, and they arrest him. And it was, it was according to uh, Jordan Peele, he felt that was uh, while relevant, um, uh, too bleak compared to everything else that ha- everything else that happened in the movie stayed. That was too bleak, uh, which I I think is just so he's not wrong. It's just very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of like a similar question here of like, what would the ending be? And it's like, you could go down a lot of rabbit holes and also that I would just be like, but as a white guy, how qualified am I to really say anything <laughs> on that?
1: Right. Thing? I mean, we're, we are neither Londoners nor of African descent in any way. So, you know, there's. There's only so much experience that we can bring to it that's relevant I mean I grew up in a in a not so great apartment complex you know with a not so great income level in my household um, but that's about as far as I can go in terms of identifying directly uh, with the people in this movie but i mean it there's another complicating factor in this movie of the police response it's like yes the police might be slow anyway to respond to something going on in the tower block but it is it's guy fox night in london you know it's cold out they never say it directly but it's cold outside and there are fireworks going off well, and in England, that generally means that it's Guy Fawkes Day.
2: Mm. Yeah, they do say they do say the cops are when Jodie Whittaker calls them. They say the cops are slow to respond because of whatever's it's going on. It's their
1: busiest night of the year.
2: Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so. for the it's kind of I don't want to say the British equivalent of Independence Day, but like in terms of like what's physically happening around you, kind of. It, uh, the spirit so, yeah.
1: is a little bit different, but it's yeah, it's we burn, we burn
0: we burn right. effigies of a man.
1: Uh, we do that on the Fourth of July, right? We burn yeah. effigies. Yeah,
2: of King George. Yep. Uh, right. We all we all watch Viva Vendetta*.
0: Presumably. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that's a movie. I'm always sad that we watched on Geek Cinema because I'm like, I'm happy we have the discussion, but I'd love to bring it back. No, <laughs> um,
1: well, we can always go back to it sometime. That's
0: true, but but in any case, I, I I feel like to not linger on this too long, but I think Nicole does make a very acute observation that I, I'd love to dig deeper into at some point which is is it is it more of a class thing in some ways because while John Boyega's character in this movie Moses does make the point that he thinks that you know this is another piece in a long string of the of the pushing down black youth in this area um, there's a lot of white characters in this movie there's a ton of white characters in this movie there there's you know, for the, there's young white girls hanging out. With the young black girls. The there's the my favorite duo of the movie, which is um, Probs and uh, Mayhem. Uh, are are you know two little buddies, white and black, and it's like there's 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 not a huge racial segregation of this block. It would seem, which is an incredibly stark contrast to if you shot this movie happening in Englewood, Chicago. Um, yeah,
2: I th- I think for me with that, it is that none of the white characters have the weight of what's going on that the black characters have.
0: Uh, I would say no one
2: has the weight that Jembolega has, just as a whole. Yeah, but I even feel like even kind of uh, when he's talking... Um, when they're talking at one point and he's doing that whole speech about like, you know, first the drugs, then they sent the guns. Like, first of all, that is, I was definitely getting flashes of like that stuff you hear about, you know, from like South Side of Chicago and, and stuff like that. But I felt like, you know, uh, Den- his friend Dennis was also kind of like feeling that. Um, I just never felt like the character of Pest was feeling that weight. Uh,
0: you know, Pest, Pest is of feeling like, anything. Pest was yeah. in a metaphysical plane. Uh, you know, Ron,
2: Ron, Ron, and Bruis just kind of were just kind of there. It's you know, even uh, uh, even Jodie Whittaker didn't. It didn't feel like she was stuck in that situation. It was just like, well, I live here, but like I'm thinking about moving. Like I don't know. I just I felt like there was a a weight that the black characters had that the white characters just never at any point experience in this movie. And maybe that's just like maybe because I am colored by movies like Detroit starring uh, John Boyega. Uh, and so I you know because of because of the American mindset I'm viewing it more from that lens. I don't
0: know. I don't know. I mean no. I totally agree. I think this movie also starts off with Jodie Whittaker getting mugged. Um but But yeah, I mean, the emotional weight of the of the story is held by characters who are black and the social context. The story tries to frame itself within is a racial one at times. Um, So it's fascinating. I I don't know just how effective it is. I appreciate it. And I and it makes me think. Um, But I think Mm. what I what I love about the movie, again, is that there isn't a stark racial divide, at least in terms of people on screen. Um, which is really cool. I, I like that. And pest is past. <laughs> Pest is yeah, a stoner I mean, kid. They're all stoner kids, but pest it, is the stonier kid.
1: Yeah, it's I I definitely get both David's point and yours. I mean, I think to David's point, it's it definitely feels like the the black kids in this movie have they they seem to feel like there is less hope of mobility, at least for the boys mm-hmm. in this movie. But I mean, to Brett's point, yeah, there's, this is way more integrated than an apartment block in America would be with a similar demographic. I think there's much more association between the kids than there would be yeah. in the U S. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting that I think the most buffoonish characters in this movie are all white. Uh, there's Ron, you know, p- played by Nick Frost, who's tending the pot farm oh, yeah. upstairs. There's Bruis, his rich, you know, rich boy Permit customer. So bizarre. Still living with his parents, uh, but clearly in his 20s. Dr. Um,
0: Frankenstein from... Um- uh, what's that tv show it's a horrifying horror television show he's doctor frankenstein and it's i'll come back when i remember the oh,
1: okay and um you know pest is sort of the yeah, he's not a he's not a bumbling character but he's clearly the sort of the jester of his group of friends at least that's how it came off to me
0: penny dreadful yeah. which also stars well, Ava he's Green not a tiny Drafton. Drafton. <laughs> Yeah, he is Harry Treadaway or whatever, isn't that him? Yeah,
1: no, Luke Treadaway. Luke, Luke Treadaway.
0: Oh my gosh, they're brothers, and I thought they were the same person.
2: <laughs> oh, oh well, they look geez. so similar. Speaking, speaking of race,
0: here uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> they look so some... similar.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. I, I
0: think... That is absolutely crazy that I identify two guys brothers together. The
1: same, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, to uh, not to,
2: to kind of going back to like why this movie will kind of endure to kind of to also with this big conversation. I think it's because it is trying to say something. Um, you know, we we talk about why why a movie like Rocky Horror Picture Show has endured so much because like it is, it's weird. And it's gay. And I say that in a positive way and it's endured because like it's become this icon. It was trying to say something and it's as it weird and bizarre as it is. And people have glommed onto that in this really positive way. And I think you could get some people doing something kind of similar uh, with, with this. And then you have the room, which is the room, you know, that's <laughs> an thing that we all have agreed
0: exists. Yeah. And another and part of this, I do think, we haven't talked quite as much about yet is that, you know, this is one of those wonderful little it's like when I'm gonna go back to the Goonies. Um albeit they're younger Why? in the Goonies. <laughs> Just <laughs> bear with me. I watch the Goonies and I'm like, oh my God, it's little Sean Ashton. Like it is so cute and you see him and he's tiny it's little Bob from Stranger Things. Right, right. Um <laughs> whereas like with this movie I'm like wow that's nineteen year old John Boyega uh playing a character as fifteen. Um, no, he was nineteen in this because it came out in twenty eleven, and he's twenty six now.
2: But I think they probably filmed
0: it. Yeah, so between right. seventeen and nineteen, he's a young guy in this, right? Yeah. Um Jodie Whittaker has not reached the acclaim she will someday reach, probably with her breakout in Broadchurch. And I think I
2: think, think, well, think Jodie Whittaker is probably bigger overseas than she is here.
0: Yeah, she is, and I mean, she had a ton of different roles even before Broadchurch, but her her like. Breakout as an award-winning actress, even at you know the Brit Awards or whatever it is they call their stuff. um I think it actually is called the Brit Awards. Baptist? yeah, yeah, the bath doesn't and that sort of thing. She, you know, cleaned up with, with, with Broadchurch, and Broadchurch was her being a grieving mother for three seasons, and it was horrific, and and I'll never forget that show. She was the highlight of that show. Um, and then now we're a couple episodes into her being the doctor In this and little known show, little known show. Right. Only only 13 people have gotten the part. Yeah. 13. Um, and she's great. She's great. Uh, like there were people regardless of gender, there are people who step into a new doctor And they are like, I don't know if I'm going to like this person, myself included at times. And then you add gender on top of that. And the weight that she had to crash through that glass ceiling in the most magnificent way possible is just insane. She's so good. Immediately, I'm like, this is the Doctor. And I think that's why I love this movie in part as well, because I can look at this and see the and see Finn and see the Doctor and see them young and like know they're going to do these great things. And that just makes me happy. Like, I love I, these, <laughs> this actor and this actress. Now, albeit... I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead, David. I just want to say one real quick thing on the Doctor Who thing. I think a reason that
2: she is able to define herself so quickly... Uh, Is because she is just instantaneously different, you know, as, as young as Matt Smith was to David Tennant and, you know, Chris Freckleson, like that's still another, you know, white guy. Uh, And like, as soon as Jodie Whittaker is on screen and she is the doctor, it is like, that is, we haven't seen a woman be the doctor, you know? So it's like immediately we are able to put greater space in the character. Right, uh, right, and I and I think that's a, that's a that's a, that's a positive thing for her. People's response to her has been great.
0: Yeah, it's been great. And and as someone who's been keeping up with this new season, um, if you never watched Doctor Who or you've dropped off or you have always been a fan. Now's the time, like come in now. Like she is new, she is fresh. It's inviting. <laughs> yeah, new showrunner, yeah, it's it's all different. New showrunner, in. new writers. Everything's different. If you've if you've ever been daunted by it, now's the time to come in. It won't scare you. But to go back to this movie, uh, one of my questions I had was, you know, are there glimpses in this movie of someone who will be acclaimed, like Jodie Whittaker, someone who will land the biggest part in Hollywood, John Boyega, and my response to this is almost like a tiny bit with Jodie Whittaker and a thousand percent with John Boyega. Like Jodie Whittaker, I don't get enough of in this movie to get a vibe for her. And John Boyega at the end of this movie, I'm like, he's an action star. Like John, like when he's jumping through the room with a dead alien strapped to his back, I'm like, yeah, this guy could be in star Wars. I get that.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean that particular sequence is way more down to Joe Cornish than to John Boyega, particularly, um, and the Wait, way that him he shot it. That, yeah. It's like the hero run. Yeah, no, I I agree with you completely, hundred percent. That John Boyega, when I first watched this movie, I had no idea who he was. This was before the Force Awakens. Um, I watched this and I'm like, that kid right there has got it.
2: Mm-hmm. He has
1: the potential to be a star. He's got the charisma. I can't when he is on screen, I can't stop looking at him.
2: Oh, yeah, so. he's a stone cold fox.
1: <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's not that it's it not just legal that this he time. Is, <laughs> it's not just that he is an attractive person. It's that, that you know he, there is something about him that is magnetic and it's yeah. very difficult to define precisely but he's got that thing that like will smith had that you know various other people have had you know that we we just watched out of sight a couple you know a week ago that you know that george clooney had it's this thing that makes you want to pay attention to what he's doing yeah you know it's charisma
0: absolutely and and i think and i think Jodie Whittaker's character is not the focus of this movie and maybe if it not had gone there. much deeper into her there'd be an opportunity to see that from her I will say in regard to Jodie Whittaker in this movie she's she's great like everything she does in this movie is fun and 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 she brings a wonderful dynamic to the movie um, I'm not a huge fan of her I should say like at the end of the movie the cops try to turn her into white savior and then the script is like no you don't and like <laughs> Um, and it doesn't. It doesn't really turn out that way. But um, Jodie Whittaker is just. I think. I don't know if there's anything really between this and Broadchurch that's the connecting tissue, to her becoming what she is now. But she's great in this movie. But I see John Boyega and Nicole's right. It's just like it's magnetic. So yeah,
2: I think I think uh, too with Jodie Whittaker in this movie is because the character is not written in any way to be a love interest for anybody. There's not really a love story of any form in this movie, which could have very easily been written in as, you know, you add a teenage girl there instead of, instead of Jodie Whittaker, which is a very, I think, interesting choice. I don't think necessarily a bad one, but it is that it, it does kind of create a space right between between any like male and and female lead in the film is because like, well, they're not romantic. So it's like, we kind of got to keep them platonic at all times. I
1: think part of
0: it. Oh, go ahead, Nicole.
1: Sorry. There's a, there's a tiny hint between um, Moses and Tia. There's like this flirtation and and attraction between them that they're both trying to, they're both trying to play it super cool and not, give anything away and yet it's totally obvious to both their sets of friends Mm -hmm. um and there's like this tiny hint that you get between uh Dennis and I had to she's got so little of a part that I had to wait until the the credits to find out who was the the white girl her name is her character's name is Gloria um and there's a little bit she's the one who's combing his hair when they're in Tia's apartment figuring out what to do next Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit with her. She's the one who's like most crushed by, you know, spoilers, his death. Um, his horrible, horrible death, poor Dennis.
2: Oh, it's so <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Oh
1: so yeah. And it's it's nice though that Jody Whitaker, that's not a that's not a thing. You know, like pest tries to hit on her and number <laughs> yes. one, he's way too young for her, but number two, he's like, You got a boyfriend? She's like, Yeah get away from me she's she's
0: a device to uh, explore the perhaps tropey admittedly these kids that robbed you at the beginning of the movie have hardened soul and are good kids in the end Um, and she's kind of an outlet into exploring that um, because she of course herself goes on that journey quite literally Uh, really quick I just want to briefly mention I think the connecting tissue I'm looking for is Jodie Whittaker at the end of 2011, early 2012 in Black Mirror. Because while I have not seen this, so I can't vouch to it, I have heard nothing but incredible things about her significant part in a Black Mirror episode that was heavily dramatic. Which episode? It's the
2: entire history of you.
1: Oh.
2: That's the one where people have the implant in their eyes – or in their like head they can record everything they see
1: oh is that the one with back. like the replacement guy with donald gleason
2: no that's that's Haley atwell no it's the one where oh. uh yeah you, like you can like the guy suspects that his wife had an affair
1: oh okay
2: yeah no I, I, I don't
1: think that. i've seen that one. Oh, so. it's really good it's really good
0: yeah it also has uh toby uh toby or yeah toby keble
1: I'll have to go back
0: and watch. Well, I've heard that be connecting tissue in the Broad Church in the past. So maybe that's what I'm looking for there. Maybe that's the one where you see her and you're like, yeah. Um, um, Speaking of connective
1: tissue and Toby Kebble, that reminds me (laughs) Toby Kebble was in the Planet of the Apes movies Uh, with um, Andy Serkis, with Terry Notary. No, Terry Notary, who plays Rocket in the new Planet of the Apes movies. Um, and Terry Notary is the primary alien performer in this film. He's Ooh. the main guy in the dark furry suit chasing the kids.
0: Wow, that was a really interesting five degrees of separation right there. Wow, sorry, <laughs> uh, that's fascinating. Nicole. He's also
1: Kong in um, Kong. Yeah, I
2: he's also yeah. Yeah. yeah, And he gets he he kills himself in a really uh, spoilers slightly for uh. Well, actually, I don't remember if Kong kills him. Ah, eh, not important. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the aliens in this movie. <laughs>
0: Yeah, let's talk Aaron. about the aliens, actually, because I realized that we're probably well into this episode. We're 39 minutes in this episode, and we haven't talked extensively about the actual aliens invading. No, uh To give yeah. a brief rundown, <laughs> what happens in this movie, if you don't watch it, uh, is the aliens crash, and John Boyega's character being all being all machismo, this alien didn't get the best of me, because the alien scratches him up when it lands, goes and kills the alien... Presumably, perhaps, a female alien that has a pheromone that attracts all the male aliens to come and um, presumably colonize Earth in some capacity. But since he killed her and he's covered in her blood and hence her pheromone, he is hunted and by way of him, all of his friends and Jodie Whittaker buy these crazy monsters uh, or alien monsters. Uh, and, yeah. and they're wild. I'm really happy that Nicole put Giant in my docket.
1: gorilla wolf things. Yeah, the alien <laughs>
0: creature designs. Because this is one of the things I love about the movie in the sense that it's, it's wholly original. You've never seen... Aliens like this where you think they have eyes and they always look like they have eyes, but really it's the teeth sticking out of their glowing mouths. Yes. It is terrifying. And I love it. Yeah. It's so original. Why do I mean
2: I mean that looks great. But why the yeah. mouths glow? <laughs> you know? Where their <laughs> so I don't out? know
1: why the Yeah, the I, teeth glow.
2: I can't really understand why evolution thought that was necessary. Yeah, right. right because
0: great. they don't need to see; they well, have no eyes. <laughs> they're blind. They
1: evolved on a different planet than we did. Maybe they That's don't need true. their eyes there.
0: So it's right, true. but if they don't need their wonder... eyes, then why do they need? To, like, I I see where you are coming from, David. <laughs> <laughs> there is a plot <laughs> hole in these teeth. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, there is plot holes in a few parts of this movie. But I am just here for the oh, ride. Sure. Right, but like even yeah, the veiling of the teeth is is magnificent when they're like, "What are those eyes glowing in the distance?" And no, it's right. star teeth. And yeah, just that's so fangs. different and fun. And the fact that they're like furry gorilla things is so peculiar. Uh, it's one of the better parts of the design of this movie for me.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think the the best thing about them is that the teeth, you know, this mouth full of glowing teeth that go almost all the way down into the throat um, are the only thing that gives depth to the creatures because the... They had the one special, you know, the the one CGI thing they did to them. You know, the, the creatures are, are guys in suits. There's Terry Notary. There was one other person who wore a suit and they like digitally copied them for the scene for the shots where there are a bunch mm-hmm. of aliens in the room or they composited them together. Um, but it was mainly the guys in the suit. And the thing that the digital digital effects company did was a make the teeth glow and B took all the reflection off the fur so that the creatures were all this sort of ultra velvety black with no reflections. And when one kid puts his hand in the fur, it kind of disappears into it and sinks in. Yeah. And one of the kids cracks that he's blacker than his cousin Femi. <laughs>
2: yeah. Look up, uh, people, look up Vanta Black. It's what it reminded me of. Uh, Vanta Black is this material that is when you look at it, you'll think there's like a hole in the world. Uh, It looks like a cartoon kind of black. And I I would say the monsters got pretty close to looking like
0: that. So David, I just want you to know that (laughs) I'm one of those people where I never delete my search history and I go down lots of rabbit holes at like three in the morning. At some point (sighs) in the last several years, I have clicked on phantomblack.com. So (laughs) this is something I explored at some point (laughs) and it's, it's very black. It is like a yeah. void into the universe. You're right. And I think that's so cool with the character with not with the characters, with the gorilla alien things, because there are several shots of this movie, not only where you get the reveal of the teeth, but even like they don't, light doesn't reflect off of them when they're behind windows or in front of like lamps. So there's this fantastic shot in the movie where, the only real antagonist, which is this drug dealer trying to rope Moses into his trade. Uh, uh, he's, not, he's not
2: trying to rope him in. I mean, he gets him in there.
0: Yeah. Well, Moses he like forcibly for puts him in. Sure. Um, he thinks that all these kids have done him wrong and he's hunting them. He doesn't. And and he he seems like weirdly cool with the fact that there's aliens and also like he realizes they're aliens and still decides to continue his vendetta against Moses. Uh his his motivations are bizarre. But there's a shot when he when he goes down or yeah, the the time he is killed, because he almost gets killed like three times. Yeah. And he's just looking out the window and all of it just starts turning fluorescent blue of all these teeth and mouths opening up and they were all sitting there behind the glass for god knows how long but they're just so dark and and separate from everything else you don't even see an inch of them and yeah. it's so cool
2: that's one of those moments speaking of like just kind of tropes it is a great moment but it's one of those moments too of like why did they wait where were they, <laughs> where were they waiting for the exact right moment uh, which just totally like tropey it's like you know You know, the the slasher is hiding behind the door for someone to, like, say his name or, like, turn around (laughs) right at the right moment. It's like, you could have just
0: stabbed him. Like, you just wait for that dramatic moment. These aliens that have no eyes. I can't wait for tomorrow evening going to see the new Halloween for her to yell, uh, Michael. And that's the moment he shatters through the door, right? Uh, He was waiting for the sound cue. I have no. Oh. doubt. Oh man, I I was reading up on it. There's a, a, a whole thing about podcasting. I I'm really oh, interested I to hear your take on the podcasters
2: in this movie.
0: I can't wait. I will. I'll report back. Uh, yeah, but I just I love the character design in this movie. I my favorite moment of this movie, and I'd love to get everyone's thoughts on theirs because it does. It does. Nicole's right. It's a very, you know, it's an excellent observation that it's not as quick. Edited and written as something that Edgar Wright would have his hands in fully. It's just not. But there's so many great little one liners and, and lines of dialogue. And my favorite is with Bruce and Sam, uh, Bruce being the just kind of stonery guy that walks the halls. Uh, and she's like, What is Ron's weed room? It's a big room full of weed, and it's Ron's. <laughs> and this is where That's they right. go to, to yeah, get that, away. That line was great. Because Ron's weed room is where, uh, Ron is Nick Frost (laughs) and it's where he, you know, deals all the weed out of a room that is surprisingly well-equipped in this block. What's everyone else's favorite moment in this movie? I got, I'm curious.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I gotta go for just the, the hero run at the end of the movie where Moses, you know, where, where, um, What's her name? The nurse goes down to his apartment and turns on the, the gas. Sam. Yeah. goes down to his apartment, turns on the gas. Actually, my second favorite moment comes just before that. She goes into his apartment and looks in his room and there's like a Spider-Man sleeping bag on the bed and there's action figures on the nightstand. And she's on the phone with him. And she says, do you have a little brother? And he says, no. <laughs> yeah,
2: <the uncle laughs> so it's, comes in, it's yeah, his but...
1: room. Yeah. And she realizes that he's, he's a kid you know yeah. he's not this almost an adult man who held her up and has been you know somebody she's been trying to deal with all evening he's a, he's a teenager you yeah. know and that's that's a real emotional punch to the movie and then after that you get the biggest action punch of the movie where you know Moses runs down from the upper floor in slow motion with the female aliens <laughs> strapped to his back and that all the male aliens are following him by scent to head to his apartment because he's, he's carrying the, you know, the pheromone laden carcass behind him. So he's going in slow-mo and he's clutching the katana in one hand. And, um, I listened to the uh, the commentary with the the kids on it, and he's like, "Yeah, I've been working out for like a couple months before. Then you see my arms right there. Yeah, there. Look at that. There you go. You know, <laughs> where where flexes. Good for these, John these Boyega. Sleeveless. Good for him. Yeah. So it just sort of adds to the hero thing as he's like leaping down the stairs and." And you know, his apartment explodes and he goes flying out the window and clutches onto the British flag to save himself before he <laughs> crashes to the pavement.
0: Yeah, so, that's very I mean, that's, that's very Her Majesty's Secret Service right there. Um
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my favorite part of the movie. It's
0: it's it's How about you,
1: David. Yeah, I mean
2: yeah, that's a great moment, and I'd be tempted to say that. Uh but since it's been said, I will say another favorite moment of the film that sticks out, and that is uh, the scene in the foggy hallway, uh, which ends with uh, Jerome's death. Um, oh, poor Jerome. Poor Jerome. Poor all of them. Um, especially the yeah. kid that was stuck in the bin the entire movie. <laughs> uh, but it's, he has, yeah, yeah, he had the most credits though. So he had to make the phone calls. Um, I I just, I really liked that scene uh, because as we were talking about the sort of connections to a horror movie does to a slasher film you know there's really great tension in that part and he gets all turned around and doesn't quite know which way to go and it's just a really good tension building moment at a good point in the movie to kind of ramp stuff up and you know then another death unfortunately happens at the hands of it Um, but i think it's a very effective scene and one that i liked a lot
0: I remember the first time I saw this movie, uh, you know, you have Jerome crawl forward right out of the mist and you find yeah. out it's been taken. And he gets yanked back and then, you know, they turn around and this hand grabs out and, you know, it's a it's a it's a female hand and you're like oh, no, dead Jodie Whitaker it's coming right like she's gonna grab him right and then it's gonna cut and it's gonna be like her getting yanked away or something like that or like half a hand or something um but she's yanking him out of there uh that's a great scene i i think one thing i do want to mention about the john boyega like hero run is i love how this movie is every bit john boyega in his herodom and fearlessness and and then the next time I was introduced to him, he was scared out of his mind. Just a sad little stormtrooper that just didn't want to kill anybody. Um I just have such a fondness for him. He is like he's like if I imagine the how people felt about Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford and I'm probably a little bit I'm too old for this admittedly but like that's how I feel about Daisy Ridley and him they're just like my generation Star Wars kid. No oh, no my generation was the prequels. That didn't happen. I love these guys. So and I'd be curious to actually see where Daisy Ridley came from because I'm honestly not very sure. But we know where John Wayega came from. This movie.
1: Yeah, but I mean there are moments in this movie that's that's part of what I love about it. it I don't know if it's written in the script but the way Joe Cornish shoots it, you can see that there are times when nobody else is looking, that Moses kind of lets himself go, and you can see that he yeah. is terrified
0: of oh, what 100%. is going on. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why, that's part of why Dennis dies, is because, you know, the a, two aliens burst in, and he's, he's only dealt with one up to now, and two of them burst in at the same time, and he jumps behind the couch and Dennis gets caught out because he thinks the gun he has is real and it turns out not to be, uh, which he discovers too late. And, you know, Dennis is crying out for Moses to help him. And Moses is frozen behind the couch. You know, he's freaking out and he can't manage it. And by the time he gets his nerve back up, it's too late.
0: You know, that's oh, fair. Yeah. I didn't think about that. because, And, the, and then again, I'm going to draw my Star Wars parallels here. That's Finn in the opening scenes of The Force Awakens uh, when he is just petrified by what's happening around him and he's supposed to be brave, but he can't be. Um, I love John Boyega. So. Right.
1: And it's another reminder that he's a kid. You know, he's yeah. trying to be tough. He's trying to be the leader. He's trying to be strong, but he's a kid. You know, Right. And I love that about this movie. It's like, you know, they're they're these, our first impression of them is they're these, you know, street toughs who are mugging random people. um, Yeah. And they're, you know, they smoke dope and they, they rob people and they intimidate people and they, you know, blow off the little kids in the complex and
2: and then, yeah, yeah, and then you have that scene later where it's they like, out- yeah, the knife, the knife is so it's over quicker because we're as scared yeah. as you are. Right, I, yeah. You know, I don't
0: buy when you're holding a knife to someone that you're as scared as they are. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sorry. But. <laughs> uh, maybe it scares the repercussions, right? Like, got a lot to lose yeah. when you pull someone at knife and you try to rob them, I suppose. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, you're absolutely right, Nicole. That is a really powerful part of this movie for me. And that's one of the reasons I just absolutely adore it. And I think that at the end of this discussion, as we begin to wrap up, perhaps I think this is better than your normal midnight classic in the sense that there is a, there there is some depth to this that I'd never even really hashed out in discussion format. <laughs> but, uh, so, but I think what makes it a classic is that the fun that can be had, is totally best in a group um this will be a great movie to see with a ton of friends hopefully on a big screen and then walk out of the movie theater talking about it the rest of the night and talking about the things that frustrated you and the things you loved and the favorite one-liners and all that good stuff and that's what makes this movie for me at the end of the day a potential future classic uh do we have anything else we want to discuss before you guys render some sort of verdict
1: Um, just that, you know, this is I think this is a cut above your average midnight movie. It's better written, it's much better directed than most midnight movies are. Um and I just wanted to to note something I got from watching the special features is that there is a person inside the female alien suit. It's a suit. It's not just a dummy. There is a little person inside uh named Artie Shaw and she does a wonderful job when she attacks John Boyega at the beginning that's a that's a person in the suit who's like wrestling with him so which wow. I thought was amazing <laughs> I
0: thought that was a puppet wow <laughs> that's yeah cool. no it's person very cool So, well, well Nicole as long as we're on you then is this something that you would deem a future yeah. ca- classic in any capacity
1: well I mean 100% it's a classic of the genre I think it's going to be a science fiction classic I think it's going to be a you know like a midnight movie classic um I don't, you know, it's it's difficult to say in general. I mean, one of these days we should sit down and talk about, do you have to specify that something is a genre classic or can you just say it's a classic movie without having to say, well, it's no Casablanca, it's no Citizen Kane, it's right. no Godfather or what have you, you know, just because it's not a straight drama doesn't mean that it's a lesser film, but you know, it's not made with quite the budget that it could have been, it's not made with as much time as maybe could have been put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a little bit of a rushed, uh, slightly cheaper feel to it than some like huge budget science fiction things like say oh
0: i don't know star wars yeah, you, see, um, you see a lot of the same locations which are mostly <laughs> parking garages several times in this movie right
1: yeah exactly and i mean all the corridors are actually sets that's not inside an apartment block that's that's sets that they built um the exterior is a real apartment block that they just mounted gigantic lights onto to make give it a more dramatic look um but yeah so i mean it's it it's not this huge, expensive drama, but I think it's very thoughtful, and it's certainly a very good movie and one that I would wholeheartedly recommend. I would say, yeah, definitely a classic of the genre, and borderline being a classic movie. Period.
0: Yeah, and I and I think that's that's always something we have to qualify when we go into these future classic weeks is. You know what kind of classic is this? Because there are many types of classics, and you're right. We someday we do have to hash out like what what that means, really truly. But like for example, when I brought Logan my first time around, I think that's a classic movie. Like I will, I will, mm-hmm. you know, throw down that Logan is a, a classic movie in every sense, not just in a superhero genre or a dr- or a drama sense. I don't. I wouldn't go that far with this movie, though. I do think it kind of borders into that territory. I agree with Nicole pretty much identically. Um, But I do think it is a genre classic 100%. And I think that I have a further appreciation after this discussion for it being perhaps even more than a midnight movie, which is what I have always thought of it as and have been happy thinking of it as. But I think it's more than that. Uh, David, you had not seen this movie before. So Nicole and I own this movie. So I feel like we had some bias going in. Let's hear your take. Uh,
2: I think I, I tipped my hand a little bit earlier when I said, you know, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a movie that people are going to watch at midnight and have a, a ton of fun over. It's going to play at like, we're watching, you know, sci-fi movies. And, uh, you know, I think I think it fits perfectly within like, yeah, those sci-fi, a little bit of cult classic kind of uh, films. I think also it, it's a great movie and a, a classic in the sense of like, hey, We're going to have some people over. Let's throw on a fun movie while we're all hanging out. Oh, you haven't seen Attack the Block? Let's watch Attack the Block. It's great. Uh, I think it is a movie that will endure because it's got good acting and and, uh, good vision behind it. And
0: it's a fun movie to watch. I can't wait to watch Attack the Block like 50 years from now (laughs) when John Boyega is like, you know, like... Having, I I guess it's just I. I, It's really cool to have such a well shot insight into such a young actor, and even actors for Jodie Whittaker. And I feel like previous generations haven't had that as exceptionally as as a new generation will of like high death you know, movies that capture someone's youth who will hopefully go on to be. Successes in many ways, and we can actually go back and look at these 30, 40 years from now, in John Boyega's, you know, in his fifties and sixties and seventies. That'll be very fascinating to me someday. Um, I find that part really cool about movies like this. So that's going to do it for us, though. Attack the Block. It sounds like sounds like I got pretty good approval on this one. I'm happy. I was nervous going in because it's an unconventional pick for a future Classic Week, but. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> We're pretty I didn't lenient. make you guys watch Spotlight yet. <laughs> Spotlight's um, great. Uh,
1: Spot, once Spot, was enough. Spotlight's yeah.
0: Oh boy, that'll be a very interesting episode now. Here we go. The two journalism majors gang up on Nicole. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got a I'm lot not of saying ups.
1: it's a bad movie. I'm just saying once is enough.
0: So <laughs> yeah, that's fair. matter. It's heavy. But in the meantime, yeah. <laughs> that's a long time away. We're gonna watch around the world next week and that or do around the world next week and watch yep. Pan's Labyrinth. Be sure to watch, yay the Guillermo del Toro classic. That would be an easy one for a week like this, right? We could agree pretty much right off the bat that that's a classic movie. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. I already own it. I'll be cracking oh, it out of its uh, <laughs> steel, its its steel book case for
0: watching. So I love it. I'm so excited. All right, that'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. Nicole, where can people find you online?
1: You can find me on Letterboxed at Nicole underscore Davis. You can find me on Twitter at at your word whiz, Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. You can find me taking care of our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash movie go around podcast. Feel free to contact us there. Ask us questions. Make suggestions. Vote in our polls for you did this to us weeks and note. Uh, I will post every time there is a new episode with a link to our webpage at Tilting Windmill Studios, so you can download every new episode and every old episode, whatever you want to do.
0: Exactly. And David, where can people find you online?
2: Uh, you can find me under the username Davluz as Z A V L U Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, you can find me there. And uh, of course, you can find me also on the Brookbot Mountain Podcast, as mentioned earlier, with Phil Rude, who will be joining us next week.
0: I know I'm excited about that. Typically, I don't announce the guests the week before because I get afraid well, that they might like tap out on us. So Phil, and- just <laughs> tap out on us now. You're committed, Phil. The public knows. I can do. I can do my
2: Phil impression if
0: need be. Oh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to that. Phil, of course, from Brokebot Mountain and a couple other really great shows. And find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Rate the show on iTunes and Stitcher. iTunes mostly. Sorry, Stitcher. You don't matter quite as much. iTunes does matter if you like <laughs> the show. It's true. I'm just going to be blunt. So if you like the show iTunes, iTunes, iTunes. Go there, review it. Leave a few words. Leave more than a few words. That that's preferable, actually. Leave lots of words that are good, and that will <laughs> be good for everybody. Leave good, good words, please. Please leave good <laughs> please. words, please. This Spell was a nice.
1: podcast that I listened to. It was good.
0: I, I, this thought. reminds me. I'm going to go down a weird anecdote here in the last thirty seconds of the show. I went to a Blackhawks game two nights ago. <laughs> And the little girl behind me, five years old, is just saying, "Do make good choices <laughs> at the players. <laughs> so make good choices, everybody. And oh, that reminds me,
1: there was a moment in the movie Death of Stalin where Stalin's son is put in charge of the Russian hockey team and he's just yelling at me on the ice, play better. <laughs> you know, so.
0: That's going to do myself, David and Nicole. No. <laughs> we will see you <laughs> next week with Pans Labyrinth.